Hello and welcome to Branding for Impact, a podcast of bite-sized branding and business tips to help you make an impact your own way. I'm your host, Roseanne, designer, dog lover, Hong Konger, and founder of Prison Creative. Join me as we talk about all things branding, marketing, and myth-busting when it comes to building a business with impact. Whether you're an NGO, social enterprise, or a business ready to create a bigger purpose, this is the podcast for you. Hello and Happy New Year! I hope you've had a restful holiday and you're back feeling refreshed and recharged. I know I definitely needed that time off. Over the holidays, I gathered your burning questions around branding, and I have to say they were a little bit different to what I expected. So it was really great to hear about uh, what your biggest challenges were, and I hope that today's episode will be useful for many of you out there. I mainly asked uh, around our own network, so these will be people from purpose-driven brands, organizations, NGOs, social enterprises, and here they are. The first question comes from Regina from Hashtag Impact Podcast. How do I make my Instagram grid less messy and more inviting? Or what's more important, does it really matter that much? Great question. I'm sure we've all fallen culprit to this, you know, spending ages ruminating about a post, whether or not to post it, how it looks on the feed, and then possibly never getting around to posting it. I know because that happens to me so much as well. When that happens, I try to revisit what the purpose of social media is for our brand and is what we're currently doing achieving that purpose. If it is, amazing. And if it could do better... Um, How can we focus on content creation instead of putting too much time and effort focusing on how everything looks? Because chances are your current followers won't even look at your entire feed. And for new potential followers, I think as long as your content resonates with them, it's useful for them, um, how your feed looks isn't really that important. As long as you have some sort of consistent theme going on like brand colors and a general look and feel of photos that's consistent, I think it's fine. Um, And to make the feed more inviting, probably uh, it's a good idea to have a good balance of white space because we don't want to overwhelm people. But, you know, it really doesn't need to be complicated. The role of social media has changed so much over the years, and it's evident now that people want authenticity. Of course, there are accounts out there for inspiration, for aesthetic reasons, but I'm sure for many of us here, that's not what we're here for. So don't let the fear of ruining your feed stop you from posting. Try also not to focus so much on the likes count. I think we need to move beyond that um, because, I mean, Instagram changes its algorithm all the time. So if we're so hung up on all these like counts, I think that really distracts from um, what the real purpose of social media really is for us. It's really so much more than likes nowadays. It's the connections that you can make. And remember, social media is only really one touch point of many. So please don't be too hard on yourself. I think what's more important to focus on on social media is what do you want people to do with the content that you post? Think about how it fits into the bigger picture of things. What's the call to action? So I'd say do a quick audit of things like your highlights, your bio, and your link. 
Is it directing people to information that they need easily and also information that you need to be telling them? So is your bio simple and straightforward to understand? Does it say who you are and what you do? I think we put so much pressure on ourselves on how we show up on social media, but what we really need to remember is that it's only one touch point of many, many different things in your entire brand ecosystem. So yes, it is important to make sure that you're reaching the right people and you're putting the right content out there, but just remember, don't try to chase perfection on this. The next question we have is from Kath of Hands On Hong Kong. What are the latest EDM do's and don'ts? So many nonprofits rely on EDM as their main channel for recruiting volunteers, donors, launching campaigns, etc. But it's challenging to stay on top of best practices, i.e. text versus images, optimal word length, subject lines, best days and times for sending, etc. Great question, Kath. I think very similar to how I answered Regina's question, first we have to really think about what content means for us, what all the purpose behind all these channels are, and from there establish content pillars. So recently I spoke to another NGO um, where we chatted about how there are only so many beneficiary stories we can share before people feel like it's, you know, a lot of the same stuff. So think about the different types of content you can send out, uh, whether that's educational, recent news, behind the scenes. Make sure you're segmenting your audience groups as well so that relevant content is reaching relevant people. So for example, the EDM that you send to to volunteers might be um, quite different to the types of content that you send to donors or possible sponsors. What we've found is uh, for us as a design agency, actually, other than talking about uh, what goes on at our agency, um, resources can be also very useful. We send out a monthly email with sustainable and purposeful business and design ideas we found on the web. And that one is actually the one that consistently has the highest open click-through and reply rate. For us, really, that one's about being of service to our community. It might help to generate leads, uh, but the primary goal is to be a great resource to people. So it's really important to nurture these contacts on your mailing list so that when you do have something important to say, they're ready to listen instead of going, oh, well, who's this? I mean, given the the massive success of Hands-On's latest fundraiser campaign, I'm sure you're doing the right thing, Kath. To answer more of the specific um, technical questions that you had around best practices, Make sure you're making use of your platform's functions that often help you analyze the best times to send your email out. And, you know, they tell you as well if your subject line is too long. Make use of the data that you have already. Have a look at whether people view more on desktop or mobile because that might change how you design the email. Also, one thing that's become quite interesting to analyze are click maps. So if you're on MailChimp, you can go back into the campaign's analytics and see where people have clicked on the most. This is really useful, so you see where people start to drop off um, on an email. And also to test if for the same content, whether most people have clicked on the image, the button, or the link. It's also a great way to check if there's been any broken links or places where you might not have thought needed to be linked, but then you get people clicking on it and it directs them to nowhere. That has definitely happened to us before, but it's all a learning process. 
Lastly, content-wise, try to make it skimmable. If you have a large chunk of text, make sure you also create subtitles and bold them so even just skimming, people can just get the gist of it. Our next question is from Karen of Stylite Collective. How do you create a brand story when there is none to base off of or it's just not a very interesting one? Hmm. So this actually happens more often than you'd think. Creating a brand story doesn't come naturally to everyone and it's totally okay if you're feeling stuck. That's what we're here for. I think the important thing to recognize about a brand story is it's not actually an external facing thing. If I'm honest, no one's actually really going to read and remember you by your brand story. It's again only one part of a whole ecosystem of your brand. So what's a brand story really for then? Personally, I feel it's more for internal alignment. I can't recite Uber's brand story. And I can't tell you what Visa or MasterCard's brand stories are either. But for me, they're functional brands, part of my everyday. But how they got there was having a clear path of who they are as a brand and how they deliver to their customers. Whether you're a big team or perhaps a pair of founders or even just one founder. From my experience, helping our clients craft their brand story brings them a sense of clarity, and with that comes confidence. Clarity about who they are and what their focus is, so that everyone is on the same page. A lot of times, clients come to us with all these ideas, you know, about how they started the brand, their vision for the future, and they try to pack as much possible into the story. They want everything in it. But our job is to take all this information and filter and organize it in a way that's digestible for them so that they're very clear about what they stand for. And there's no formula to creating a brand story. Yes, most times, because we're working with purpose-driven brands, it's quite obvious how that story will be built. It will be most likely around the vision, um, how they help make the world a better place, bring better health, better education, but sometimes it's not about that. Some brands are really more about the experience or product itself, and that's totally okay too. We recently completed branding for a new spa, and we just kept it very simple, really just about the experience you'd get with them and how you'd feel after the treatment. Nothing, you know, like revolutionary or groundbreaking. Sometimes it's about the founders and how their life story led them to creating the brand. I even once wrote a poem for an interior designer for her brand story because I was so inspired by the poetic nature of her work. And I felt that that was the best way to represent her nature and values as a designer. So there's no right or wrong way to create a brand story. I think the important thing is for you to understand it and own it. Next up, we've got a question from someone who wishes to remain anonymous from an NGO. We can't secure funding because we don't have awareness, but it's hard to reach those niche markets organically without using paid posts. Catch-22 situation. I totally know what you mean. I know how hard it is when you're still in a growth phase and it feels like you're throwing yourself out there but not getting much of a response. I know how frustrating that can feel. When time and resources are stretched, whatever you do, focus on the right things and the right people. This means letting go of feeling like you have to do everything. Think about depth 
rather than breadth. Think, how can I achieve maximum results with a minimal amount of effort? We don't usually suggest paid advertising to clients that are just starting off because the results just don't really make it worth it. So it's not just you, trust me. It's only when you reach a certain size and already have that awareness in the market that you'll start to see results with paid posts. And that's because people recognize your brand. And that can take years of nurturing. I think, again, it's really important to see PR as relationship building. And I talk about this a lot in episode three, Seven Ways Brand Building is a Lot Like Dating, where we focus on looking at the customer journey as a whole experience and really nurturing the lead rather than zooming in and spending all our time and efforts on one single touch point and feeling like it's a make it or break it. I think there's so much opportunity nowadays for more exciting and innovative ways to build brand awareness. And yes, COVID makes it really hard for us when we still have group gathering restrictions in place. But maybe you can also play that to your advantage. Think about guerrilla ways of marketing. I recently spoke to a PR partner who was so clever in doing just that. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with the term guerrilla marketing, it's basically just a fancy term for spontaneous marketing. Remember that phase of the pandemic where everyone was suddenly making banana bread? Well, she jumped on that wave and sent a couple of influencers boxes of cake mix from a brand she's representing. And she wrote a lovely handwritten note with it saying, look, we're not looking for any kind of return. We just wanted to make sure you're okay. And this is a little something from us to have fun with for a few hours with the kids. And the response was overwhelming. People were so grateful for the thoughtfulness and they were posting about it without the brand even asking for it. And it really gained traction. So this example was a huge success because it really came from the heart and it was relevant, it was thoughtful, and the best thing is it barely costed anything. I know a lot of brands are also offering more intimate experiences and events for their audiences, both online and offline. Another really clever one was when I was staying at a quarantine hotel in Hong Kong, their spa offered a free 10-minute DIY treatment session, and they dropped off sample products to us to try while teaching us live how to do a hand scrub and massage. And it was really fun. And I actually purchased a product because of that. I know for NGOs, it's much harder to create these kinds of experiences. But what are some ways you can also get people excited about supporting you and your cause? Think about what's in it for them too. What's a great way to get people involved? What kind of partnerships can you leverage on? How can you collaborate with some really cool brands to help get your message out there? Be intentional about where you're spending your budget and how you can get the most bang for your buck. And the last question of today comes from Bernice of Expand. What captures someone's attention when looking at a brand? What should I focus on on my social media or website? Hmm, it's interesting because I see all these questions submitted this time around are all related to one another somehow. This is another really great question because I know often we don't have time to do all these A-B testings and trial and errors to see what works and what doesn't work. But one thing that I can tell you that really works is validation. A lot of times we think we know what our audience wants or needs, but until we ask them, we don't actually know for sure. Just like this episode here. It was really great to hear about all these burning questions you have. And as mentioned, they turn out to be quite different to what I'd imagined would be asked. So again, focus on what's in it for them. You can do this through testimonials, 
product reviews, or even doing a bit of backwards research like I've done here. Ask your audience what their main challenges are and answer to that. Because as customers, we want validation that you know how to solve our problems for us. So yes, your brand story, values, etc. are important, but why would it matter to them? As collective beings, we want to feel seen and heard and part of something. FOMO is a real thing. So post about client success stories. Talk about how you've helped people overcome their challenges. This will really help them to imagine what working with you or supporting your cause would be like. Make it really, really easy for them to imagine that and focus on telling the story of the before and after. So how they were feeling before they worked with you or before they engaged with you and then the after, what changes they experienced then. Because chances are that's what the people looking at your Instagram or website are looking for as well. So how are you feeling? I really enjoyed reading up on all your questions and I hope this was helpful. I do see a pattern here. Did you notice today we talked a lot about authenticity, being intentional, and focusing more on depth rather than breadth? That's really the way we like to work as an agency. We are numbers and results driven, but what's even more important to us is that you're owning your truth, you're writing your own story, and that we're able to deliver with heart. If you enjoyed this episode and you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, I'd really appreciate it if you could leave a rating. There's actually a new feature on Spotify now where you can rate podcasts. And the more of you that rate, the more people can find Branding for Impact podcast and the more people we can help on their purpose-driven journey. If you have any more questions about today's episode, feel free to reach out via our website or Instagram. Links are in the show notes. We'll be coming back next week with an episode on what's trending for 2022 around sustainable and impactful branding. So hit subscribe so you won't miss it. It's going to be a good one. Thanks again for listening and I'll speak to you soon.